Your tour begins at the main entrance to the park by the six-foot-tall by eight-foot-wide entry sign reading Fort Jefferson, Dry Tortugas National Park. The National Park Service arrowhead insignia is displayed on the right-hand side of an eight-foot-tall brick pillar. The arrowhead features tall pine trees in green, the outline of a snow-capped peak, and a bison at the bottom. Facing this sign, with the ocean and ferry dock behind you, an enormous, several-hundred-foot-wide, three-story red-brick fort rises 60 feet into the air. Between you and the fort is a 70-foot-wide moat. The path extends hundreds of feet to the left and right, running parallel to the wall of the fort, about 15 feet back from the edge of the moat. About 150 feet away, on an angle to the right, the black metal top of a lighthouse inside the grounds of the fort rises 20 feet above the exterior walls. Behind you, to the left, across a sandy, grassy patch, is a small shaded area with a few picnic tables located next to a second wooden boardwalk leading from the ferry dock and changing stations building. There are three distinct levels to the fort. Fifteen feet above the moat, a series of six-foot square arched openings, known as embrasures, penetrate the wall of the fort all along its side wall at 20-foot intervals. Fifteen feet above each of those openings, a series of larger 12-foot square arched embrasures line the side wall of the fort. Moving 15 feet higher, the bricks change color from brown to red for the remainder of the fort's height. At the top of the third tier, a series of rounded brick archways jut out six feet from the top of the wall, ringing the entire fort. The interior walls of the fort are visible through these exterior wall openings, which also allow you to see clear through to similar openings in the interior fort walls 40 feet beyond. Again, the black top of a lighthouse located inside the walls of the fort, the Garden Key Harbor Light, is visible at the top of the fort at the right. There will be more information about this lighthouse later in the tour. Large sections of the fort walls have collapsed into the moat, indicated by crumbling brick around many of the embrasures. There are also several newer brick sections visible around some of the openings, indicative of the efforts of the National Park Service to preserve the fort. Facing a corner of the fort, the brick walls here jut out 30 feet into the moat, forming what is called a bastion. Fort Jefferson has six of these defensive structures, one at each of its corners. As along the walls of the fort, embrasures line the side walls of each bastion, facing down the length of the moat on either side. There is a single embrasure on the second and third levels on the outer face of these bastions. The rounded brick archways jutting out from the top of the fort line the top of the third tier of all the bastions as well. Facing away from the fort towards the ocean, 30 feet ahead, across sand and grass, are several signs posted showing a stick-figure swimmer surrounded by an open red circle with a diagonal slash through it. There is no swimming allowed here. Another 50 feet beyond that, on a narrow 30-foot-wide grass-covered patch of sand, is a sign with the words, Island Closed. The ocean extends off to the horizon in all directions.
In the spring, small yellow or green warblers can be seen and heard. These birds migrate here from Central and South America, using dry tortugas as a rest stop in the middle of the ocean. Sooty terns begin arriving in late January to early February. They have black backs with white underbellies, a black head, and a white throat. Brown noddies are also sometimes visible. These are dark brown birds with a pearl-white head. The magnificent frigate bird is a large black bird measuring about 40 inches in length with a wingspan upwards of 85 inches. Males can be identified by their scarlet throat pouch, while the female has a white breast and lower neck and a blue eye ring. The sally port lies 70 feet away across an 8-foot-wide wood plank bridge spanning the moat. Note there are no handrails on this bridge, only 4-inch high wood ties along either side. The sally port itself is an 8-foot-wide by 15-foot-tall arched opening in the brick curtain wall made entirely of granite. Massive granite columns flank the entryway where once was mounted a heavy drawbridge and two sets of heavy doors used to secure the fort. On either side of the sally port are two three-foot-wide by eight-foot-tall rectangular openings in the outer brick wall with rectangular granite tops and sills. Halfway up the brick wall above these windows, two ten-foot-wide embrasures flank the top of the sally port on the second tier of the fort. Three smaller, two-foot-wide by six-foot-tall rectangular windows with granite tops and sills are located immediately above the sally port. The rooms behind these windows were often used as soldiers' quarters or prison cells. As you pass into the sally port, note the 12-inch high by 2-foot-wide rectangular cutouts in each of the granite columns to your left and right. These were for the original door hinges. Note also the two 4-inch-wide arcs that have been carved into the stone floor by the grinding action of the wheels on the bottom of two heavy doors that once swung open from the center. Once past the sally port, you are in an arched brick alcove room, 20 feet wide by 30 feet long. Along the floor of this alcove, two 12-foot long by 6-inch high granite rails to the left and right served as guard rails to keep the wheels of carriages straight as they were being pulled through the sally port by mules. On the other side of the alcove, move down a concrete ramp on a slight decline to a brick path inside the fort. Facing back into the sally port, the entryway consists of an 8-foot-wide by 12-foot-tall arched opening in the brick curtain wall made entirely of granite. A 5-foot-wide brick path, overgrown with patches of grass in places, rings the large, several-hundred-foot-wide interior parade grounds of the fort, located immediately behind you. All around the fort, large brick arches line the first and second floor interior walls leading to interior rooms known as casemates, giving the appearance of an elaborate and massive honeycomb. The grassy top floor of the fort, known as the terraplane, can also be seen from this ground level. 
Ten feet to the right and left of the sally port are two arched brick doorways, now housing the park administrative offices and visitor center, respectively. Mounted to the wall to the left of the visitor center door hangs a plaque displaying the National Park Service Arrowhead logo. The visitor center houses artifacts from different periods of the fort, along with exhibits about the fort and the island. Facing the interior of the fort, beyond the cement circle, is an open grassy area covering 11 acres. These are the parade grounds of the fort. The hexagonal or six-sided open grounds are as wide as three football fields. Low brick wall ruins of several structures can be seen around the periphery of the parade grounds, including one behind you to your right. Many trees also ring the grounds and ruins. The foundation in front of you on the parade grounds is all that remains of the soldiers' barracks. Note the low, crumbling brick wall ruins extend 35 feet in front of you and 300 feet off to your right. They are overgrown with grass and weeds. Be mindful of loose bricks that may be lying on the ground. The interior brick path is located 25 feet behind you across the grass. On your way to this location, you moved inside the bottom tier of one of the fort's bastions through one of the gun rooms, known as casemates. Bastions are the points of the fort, used to defend the fort walls. You may have noticed several one-inch-high metal bolts sticking up out of the uneven stone floor throughout this area. These are remnants of the gun mounts inside these rooms. The open brick archway to the rainwater catchment is about two feet off the floor, set into a larger 10-foot square brick wall. A sand filter would have been placed in this opening. Rainwater collected along the top of the fort would be piped down the columns of the casemates and flow down through these catchment filters to be stored beneath your feet in large cistern reservoirs. Note the long arched brick hallway to the left of the catchment, connecting a number of similar casemate rooms. Explore one of the fort's gun ports, the openings in the outer brick wall facing the moat and the ocean beyond. Feel the triangular shape of the bottom sill, about four feet high, and how the brick sidewalls follow that same shape. Notice the semicircular gun mount arcs on the floor, about 12 feet back from the opening, where the cannon swung side to side to fire at different angles out of the gun port. From this casemate, you will be moving to the second tier of the fort via a stairwell inside the bastion under the black lighthouse. Each bastion in the fort contains a granite spiral staircase ascending in a clockwise fashion that allows access to all three tiers. Visitors can use five of the staircases to explore the fort. Note that in all stairwells, there are 20 steps between the first and second tiers and that the steps narrow from the outside to the inside of the spiral. Once again, you may either follow the navigation directions given or, if you choose not to climb the stairs, you can listen to the rest of the tour from any location by simply pressing the buttons on your keypad as directed. Feel the breeze as you walk among the second-tier casemates. 
There are several openings in the wall facing the parade grounds and additional openings in the outer curtain wall of the fort facing the ocean. Please use caution here. The floor runs right up to many of these openings, and there are no ropes, railings, or other barriers to prevent accidental falls. As you move among these casemates, watch and feel for the many modifications the residents of Fort Jefferson made to the walls and stonework of these casemates. In some areas, they built chimneys for stoves or cut channels in the concrete floor to aid drainage. Some of the embrasures were also modified, changing their shapes and sizes to serve as windows for their quarters. You reached Mudd's cell by moving down a 150-foot-long narrow hallway through an alternating series of 4-foot-wide by 8-foot-tall brick archways and 12-foot-wide openings. Note again that the floor runs right up the edge of an opening facing into the parade grounds, and there are no ropes, railings, or other barriers to prevent accidental falls. The room is 15 feet wide by 30 feet long, and there are three rectangular windows, two feet wide by six feet tall, underneath a brick arch in the outer curtain wall. Facing the windows, the right-hand wall of the room has been entirely bricked over. A large brick archway opens on the opposite side of the room. Note the small canals cut into the floor leading to a circular hole in the center of the floor. Also note the rough concrete floor in the passageways leading towards and away from Mud's cell. Touch the floor to feel the coral embedded in the concrete. Through the openings in the outside walls, you can look out to the dock where you arrived. Beyond the dock are the islands of Bush and Long Key, surrounded by miles of open sea and treacherous reefs. To move to the next tour stop, we will return to the stairwell under the lighthouse and continue our clockwise ascent up to the third tier of the fort. Note that there are 16 stairs to an intermediate landing, followed by 14 more stairs up to the third tier. You have arrived at the top of the fort, or terraplane, of the lighthouse bastion by climbing up through the black boilerplate iron harbor lighthouse rising 30 feet into the air behind you. The honeycomb of cannon casemates ringing the interior of the first and second tiers can be seen beyond the cannon and lighthouse. Like all guns at this top level, the black soda bottle shaped cannon here faces out over the ocean and is mounted on a platform to fire out over the parapet. The guns had wide fields of fire, but they were vulnerable to enemy fire, especially from the side. Feel free to touch the cannon and follow along its length to the open bore in the front. Note the many large mounds across the terraplane. There are 16 of these mounds, known as traverse or barrier magazines. They were used to safely store gunpowder on this top level. Facing out towards the ocean, approximately 15 feet ahead and around you on all sides, a two-foot-wide path skirts the top of the bastion. In this location, a low two-foot-tall metal rope running along the top edge of the bastion on the far side of the path.
but be mindful to keep on the path as you move around the terraplane. There are drop-offs along the way a few feet to the left, while to the right, across a narrow two-foot-wide grassy mound, is a steep drop-off the top of the terraplane. Note there are no guardrails or rope fences along either side of the path to prevent accidental falls. From this high vantage point, take a moment to catch your breath, smell the breeze, and listen to the sound of the ocean and the birds. Over 200 species of birds have been documented in the park, with vast numbers of birds migrating through the park in the spring and fall. Dry Tortugas is located in the flyways between the United States, the West Indies, Cuba, and Central and South America. These birds are visitors on their way to their summer or winter range. March and April are the busy season for spring migration, with most of the birds headed north. The storms in the spring cause the birds passing by to seek refuge on the islands. Generally, the worse the weather is, the more birds seek refuge on the islands. Many different species of birds may show up during these migrations. There are colorful wobblers, vireos, and buntings, along with larger terns, gulls, and herons. Also present are several species of hawks, falcons, and kestrels. Even small hummingbirds show up as they pass through the Gulf of Mexico. Retrace your movements back to the doorway at the base of the lighthouse. Be mindful of the metal threshold and step onto the landing at the top of the spiral staircase. Take the stairwell and all the way down to the parade ground below. Use caution as you move counterclockwise down 14 stairs along the right-hand wall to the first stone landing. Move across the landing and continue counterclockwise down 16 stairs to the second tier of the fort. Follow around the curved right-hand wall for a full half circle to the top of the next staircase, passing two open doorways on your right. Move counterclockwise down 20 more stairs, following along the right-hand wall to the bottom landing of the bastion staircase. Continue along the right-hand wall, then turn right and exit the stairwell, down an 8-inch step onto a brick path. You are facing the crumbling foundation of the hospital here at the end of the barracks ruins. 75 yards ahead on a slight angle to your left is a small stand of trees with a six-foot-tall white marble monument to John Smith, the assistant surgeon for the fort. 25 feet on a slight angle to the right across the grass is a large domed brick structure about 70 feet long and 50 feet wide. This building is known as the Large Parade Magazine. It was under construction from 1862 to 1866, but was never finished nor used. The fort was originally designed for five parade magazines, two large powder magazines, and three smaller magazines. This is one of the two parade magazines actually started. About 100 feet along the path to the right, toward the next bastion, is a narrow 10 feet wide trapezoidal shaped brick building sloping up and away from the path. This is the hot shot furnace, where soldiers would heat cannonballs until they were cherry red. 
The heated cannonball would skip across the surface of the water like a stone, striking a ship near the waterline to affect the maximum amount of damage. In front of you is a six-foot wide by four-foot tall arched brick opening in the wall. About three feet forward, the wall narrows down to a width of two feet, where an iron shutter assembly begins. Another 12 inches forward into the wall are a pair of metal shutters. Two vertical panels hinged at the left and right to open like a set of French doors. Note that there are a number of shorn-off metal posts about one inch high protruding up from the floor in front of the wall where cannon would have been anchored. Housing at the fort was to be provided in the soldiers' barracks and officers' quarters. Today, only the foundations of these three-story structures remain standing in front of you, and some portions may be overgrown with tall grasses and trees. These structures were never completed, so many occupants lived in the parade ground, outside the fort, and in the second tier. The iron lighthouse rises in the distance on the far side of the parade grounds. The brick ruins located behind the officers' quarters foundation are all that remain of twelve two-story kitchens. You are facing a number of small, four-foot-wide by eight-foot-tall, bricked-up archways on the first tier. Above these archways on the second tier are two 20-foot-wide by 25-foot-tall, massive brick archways that open into huge rooms, extending all the way to the outer fort wall, some 40 feet straight back. Down a short 18-inch step is a 20-foot square room which was the bakery of the fort. The opening to the oven is a small three-foot-wide by two-foot-tall brick archway on an angled wall to the left at the back of the room. There is a general storage area in a room at the left with a raised floor about two feet high. You are in a brick room roughly 20 feet wide by 10 feet deep by 20 feet tall. The arch of the ceiling is much more angular than curved, evoking a sense of a cathedral and church spire. Halfway back into the room, the walls begin to narrow down to a four-foot-wide by 15-foot-tall arched alcove at the back of the room. This massive 15-inch bore Rodman cannon has a curving soda bottle shape and is almost 16 feet long. It is mounted on a metal carriage with four metal wheels that roll on metal rails embedded in a wood platform, allowing the cannon to be rotated 360 degrees on its center vertical axis. The guns were elevated and depressed by means of a lever called the elevating bar at the back. The gun could fire the 300-plus pound shot nearly three miles. A sand and gravel path skirts the edges of the wooden platform of the cannon and leads 20 feet up a slight incline to the top of the fort's terraplane. Please use caution here. The terraplane runs right up to the edge of the fort to a 50-foot sheer drop-off to the moat below, and there are no ropes, railings, or other barriers to prevent accidental falls. 
notice that across the water is the Dry Tortugas Lighthouse, or Loggerhead Key, about three miles away. Many sailboats may also be anchored in the waters surrounding Garden Key. Smell the breeze, listen to the ocean, and the calling of the birds. <laughs>